Last week, we started a study on strife, and we spent session one discussing three issues. Number one, we defined what strife is. Now, strife, put very simply, is just any form of disharmony. Anytime there is a lack of harmony. Number two, we named some subtle ways in which strife can manifest. Now, we're knowledgeable of the overt ways, the anger and the temper and all this, but it can manifest in ways like pouting and moodiness and manipulation and sulking, attitude of irritation. Sometimes a person is just real curt, they're real sharp, and and that causes strife. Anytime we don't fulfill our share of the responsibilities, I'll put that another way. Anytime we infringe on somebody else's rights to the extent that it causes them to be hurt or to be angry or to be in disharmony, okay, that's strife. And then number three, we looked into what strife can cause, the fruit of strife. Now, I want you to turn to James 3.16. This was our foundational scripture last week, and this very plainly states what comes as a result of strife. Now, if you weren't here last week, I want you to mark this in your Bible. James 3, verse 16. Verse 15 is talking about this wisdom, this strife. We said last week in verse 14 where it says bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That word selfish ambition is exactly the same word as strife in the Greek. And so in verse 15, it's talking about this bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, strife. It doesn't come down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. And then verse 16, and where this selfish ambition, where this strife exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. So strife opens the door to disorder, it opens the door to confusion, and it opens the door to every evil work. So we're saying that anything bad can come as a result of operating in strife. Okay, well, where does strife come from? We found out what it is. We found out how it manifests. We found out what it causes. But if we don't find out what the root is, if we don't find out where strife comes from, where it starts, and destroy that root, then all of this knowledge about strife is going to be in vain. I'm a firm believer in communication. But, you know, we can communicate all day long, and we can be in solid agreement that there's strife in the camp, that it's doing damage, it's opening the door to the enemy, and we both want rid of it. And yet, if we don't know what the root is, and we continue to let that root stay covered, we're probably going to communicate in vain. So our objective today is to find out the root of strife and how to destroy it. Okay, I want you to look at Proverbs 13.10. Now, I'm not going to have you look up too many scripture today, but the ones I'm having you look up are very important. So I want you to look them up and mark them in your Bible. And I want you to stay with me because we're going to dig until we find out what the root of strife is. So Proverbs 13.10 says, through presumption comes nothing but strife. Okay, I have a New American Standard, and it says, through presumption comes nothing but strife. Now, if you have a King James, it's going to say, only by pride comes contention and strife. Now, I looked it up in the Strong's, and it means both. It means presumption and strife. So you need to put that out in the margin. If your translation says presumption, then put pride out in the margin. If yours says pride, then put presumption out in the margin. Because it's telling us here 
that only by pride and presumption comes strife. Now turn it around and it'll be said a little more clearly. Strife is only going to come through one of these two avenues. It's only going to come through pride or through presumption. Now, some of you may be rejoicing loudly on the inside thinking that that lets you off the hook because sometimes we get to thinking, well, I'm a long way from pride because I don't even like myself. So I know I'm not the one causing the strife. But that's because we have a preconceived idea about strife and we tend to think of strife as only being arrogant, boastful, and self-exalting. Now, that is one form of pride, but there's more to pride than that. The definition of pride is just simply preoccupation with self. Did you know that a lot of people with a very low self-esteem, very low self-image, there are many of those people that are very preoccupied with self. Now, even though they may be bashful, they may be embarrassed. See, embarrassment is a form of being preoccupied with self. And you say, well, how is embarrassment being preoccupied with self? Well, that's because... We're afraid that somebody's watching us and we're in fear that maybe we're going to fall short of what they're expecting. We're worried about what people are thinking about us. That's why we're embarrassed. Now that's being preoccupied with self. Now it really doesn't matter whether a person is exalting themselves or whether a person is putting themselves down, whether whichever we're doing. The point is that either extreme is being totally aware of self. Conscious of self, preoccupied with self. And pride is always self-conscious instead of others conscious. Pride's always selfish. Now, I've heard it said that the man who lives by himself and for himself is likely to be corrupted by the company he keeps. And that's so true. Now, self-awareness is so prevalent in today's modern society. Everybody owes me a living. How can I get what I want? How can I be happy? What can I do to get the people around me to do what I need them to do? I'm going to do this because that's what I want to do. It makes me feel good. Well, we might as well finish the sentence. I'm going to do what I want to do no matter what the inconvenience might be to someone else. And that is the kind of thinking that's going on in our world today. And this kind of selfish, prideful attitude produces strife. Only by pride and presumption comes strife. Okay, let's talk about the other extreme. Let's talk about presumption. Presumption is to overstep one's rights in order to take liberties. Or it can be shirking our responsibility in order to do our own thing. Now, either way, it's infringing on somebody else's rights. It's thinking of self and putting self before others. Now, you've seen little three and four-year-olds running wild. No manners. They're not disciplined. They're not behaving at all. And the parents are in presumption not paying any attention to the fact that their children are infringing on someone else's rights. Now, anytime we infringe on someone else's rights, it's sinful and it fosters strife. It's selfish. So our presumption can manifest now in the behavior of our children or it can manifest in our own behavior. Now, we've seen the two extremes. We've seen the pride of worrying too much what other people think. And then we've seen the other extreme. We've seen the presumption of not caring enough about the other person's feelings. Now, it's very natural to want people to think well of us, and we should. There's nothing wrong with that. We're to represent Jesus on this earth, and our reputation is very important. 
because the Bible tells us we're to shun the very appearance of evil. It only becomes wrong when we get into the bondage of just constantly being worried and being fearful about what other people think of us. See, wanting our lifestyle to be pleasing to the Father, that's the balance between the two extremes. That's the balance between the pride and presumption. And that balance is going to come when we do everything that we do as unto God. That's what's going to keep us out of selfishness. Now, it's sad, but most of us have been trained in selfishness. We talk about what the Word says, and we talk about how the Word's trying to get us out of selfishness. But if you look at the way most of us were trained in this world, we were trained in selfishness until it became a fine art. There's an art to developing all the little methods that we come up with to pamper ourselves. And there's so many things in this world that are out there to pamper us. And and boy, we've made an art out of it to figure out ways to develop things to make us comfortable, make our life more what we want it to be in a fleshly sort of way. And it's pride and presumption. Now We've become experts at selfishness and every bit of it causes strife. Now, one guy always lost his temper, and I've shared this before, but he was always then having to contend with the results of having lost his temper. And every single time after it would happen and he would find out someone had gotten their feelings hurt and problems had come, he would say, I didn't realize what it was going to do to you. I just wasn't thinking about that. Well, no, he wasn't thinking about that. He needed to go ahead and finish the sentence. He was only thinking about himself. And any time we're not thinking about what it's going to do to the other person, then we're in selfishness. We're thinking of self first, and that breeds strife. And in the natural, strife is always going to breed more strife. That's the enemy's plan, strife breeding strife, until we look into the Word of God and find out the answer. But in reality, somebody else's actions should never dictate to us how we're going to react. If you'll let that be your goal to never allow somebody else's actions to dictate to you how you're going to react. So what does that tell you then about the root of strife? The root of strife is always going to be selfishness. Mark it down. Now pride or presumption will be there. But we're going to find out that bottom line is pure and simply as I can say it. All strife is caused from selfishness where we become the center of our universe. You've heard the story of the center of the universe story where the young man came home from college and he told his father, Dad, there's a big world out there. You need to travel. You need to get away from this place. You just stay here at the house all the time and you need to get out and see this big world. And the father said, Son, I live at the center of the universe. And he said, Dad, how on earth do you figure that? So he took him out in the field and he said, Son, what's in front of you? And he said, Well, that's north. And he said, well, what's behind you? Well, that's south. Well, to the right, that's east. To the left, that's west. He said, see, son, I told you, I live at the center of the universe. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when life revolves around me and my wants, no matter where I am. I can stay at home or I can go out and see the world. If I stay at home and life revolves around me and my wants, that's making me the center of my universe. And that's selfishness. And strife is going to evolve from that kind of thinking. Now, a little child comes in the world very selfish, thinking of no one else but self. And that's because we're born with a sinful nature, an unregenerate nature. I want what I want when I want it. Have you ever noticed a tiny toddler 
They don't think one thing about bopping another little tot on the head to get the toy that that child's playing with. Okay, why does a child do that? For one reason and one reason only. They want that toy for themselves. It doesn't bother them that that toy belongs to somebody else. And it really doesn't matter to them the method that they use. He doesn't mind bopping his friend over the head. He doesn't mind scratching his face or whatever it takes to get that toy. Now, we don't think much about an 18-month-old child forcefully taking what he wants out of sheer self-centeredness. We don't think much about that because we say, oh, they're going to grow out of it. They're going to get older and they'll grow out of that selfishness. But you know, in reality, we don't grow out of selfishness. That selfishness is still going to be there. The world has just come to the place where they've taught us a more sophisticated way of getting what it is that we want. Now, obviously, we've learned that we can't go around bopping people on the head. But we have learned to bop them in other ways, and it's still going to cause strife. And sometimes we do it in very subtle ways, and we've become so accustomed to the ways that we're using that we're not even aware of it. And it comes from pride, it comes from presumption, it comes from self-centeredness. And it's selfish. It's being preoccupied with self. Now, we can say with our mouth all day long, Jesus is Lord. But if selfishness is reigning in our life, then in reality, Jesus is not our Lord in that particular area. We've not allowed him to reign. Now, he gives us a free will, and until we deal with selfishness, until we deal with the pride and the presumption, we're never going to be able to get rid of the strife. Now, I've known people, and you have too, who would quote the word on healing, and, or maybe they'd quote the word on prosperity, but then when it didn't happen quite as quickly as they expected it to happen, they were just ready to quit. They were ready to throw the towel in and just say, hey, this faith stuff doesn't work. They say, I've tithed, I've done this, and I've done that, and nothing works, I quit. Do you know what the bottom line of that little exhibition is? All in the world it is, is an adult temper tantrum of selfishness. And most of us have been there at one time or another. God, you didn't play the game the way I wanted you to, so I quit. I don't have any faith for that. Suicide is the highest form of pride and presumption. It's the highest form of selfishness. Suicide is total preoccupation with self. It doesn't matter what it does to somebody else. That person is just thinking of self. Now, I want you to hear me all the way through on the next thing that I'm going to say because I don't want you to hear something I'm not saying. But there are whole denominations who believe that God doesn't heal. They don't believe in prosperity. Some of them even believe that God will put sickness and cancer on you to teach you a lesson. Now, scripturally, we know that's incorrect. We know that that doctrine is wrong. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. But there is something that we can learn from people who believe that way. These people are saying, even though I'm not sure that God's going to come through for me, even though I'm not sure that his blessings are always going to be there, I am still going to serve him. Now, I know that some of them do that out of a martyr spirit and some do it out of a self-righteous spirit, and that's pride and presumption. But there are a lot of people who are not saying that out of self-righteousness. There are a lot of people who are saying, hey, I'm giving my life to the Lord, and it doesn't matter what the future holds. I've made a decision to follow Jesus, and no matter what, I'm going to follow him. And they're doing it out of a pure motive. They're just as wrong as their doctrine is, and just as wrong as they are about the character of God, and, and even though they're wrong about God's will to heal, and even though they have a lack of knowledge of what the Word of God has to say, 
Many times we'd have to say that their willingness to serve is out of a less selfish motive than those that are ready to quit the walk when it looks like something isn't going the way they want it to go. And how many times have we been ready to throw the towel in? Well, that's selfishness. And any time we feel that way, that's conditional service. That's a conditional love. And it's selfish. It's prideful. It's watching out for self. The big eye is still on the throne. What's in it for me is still the bottom line. And that's why so many times when we think, well, we're doing so well, we need to look, we need to do some really deep self-evaluation to see what's really down there. Because so often we're being motivated out of selfishness when we don't even realize it. Now, of course, there's no way to outgive God. And any time we give, it's going to be given back, pressed down and shaken together and running over. But when the receiving is a criteria of our following God and being faithful, then it's conditional and it's prideful and it's selfish. When life revolves around me and my wants, that's making me the center of my universe. And it's strife. And we're going to find that it's going to eventually overtake us. And it's always coming of a root of selfishness. Now, God showed me a picture of a tree. And I want you to try to picture this tree in your mind's eye because if you'll do that, this will give you an idea of how strife works. It'll make it come into perspective. I want you to picture the tree root. We looked here in Proverbs 13, verse 10, and it says strife always comes from pride and presumption. And then pride and presumption always comes from selfishness. So I want you to get a picture of that tree root under the ground. And one root going off has presumption written on it. The other root going off has pride on it. And then the tap root of that tree is always selfishness. Now, the root doesn't show on the surface. And that's why we don't cut the root off so many times because we're dealing with just what we see above the ground. We're so busy looking at the manifestations of strife. But that root down there, I want you to, if you're drawing it out, draw your root, and the root of the tree comes up, and you have the trunk of the tree. Now, that trunk is what you see above the ground, and that trunk of the tree is strife. It's a strife tree. I want you to picture that. And then from the trunk, strife can grow many different manifestations or many different branches. Now you could name some branches on your strife tree, but one of the branches might be quarreling. Another branch could be arguing, nagging, anger. Those are obvious branches on this strife tree. And then there'll be some more subtle branches, some branches that maybe you don't see quite as quickly, but infringing on somebody else's right, shirking responsibility, manipulation, fears that cause a person to control, being critical. These are all branches on that strife tree. Self-justification, having to be right, pouting, being moody, irritable. And some people don't say a word. They're irritable and they're causing strife, but they may not be saying a word out of their mouth. Okay, now these are all manifestations of strife. These are all branches that are growing from a strife tree. So the branches are ways in which strife will show up in different people's lives. Now, we tend to look at the branches and we tend to see these as the strife producers. But these manifestations, these branches just fan the fires of strife. They just keep that tree growing and and keep the tree healthy. But in reality, the real cause of the strife is coming from the root. 
It's coming from the pride and the presumption and the selfishness. Now, take a minute, and I want you to do just a little personal application. I want you to do just a little bit of soul searching. I want you to be honest enough with yourself to see which branch it is that you fit into. We have different branches that are growing from our strife tree. Do you fan the fires of strife with obvious things like anger or temper tantrum or quarreling or nagging? Be honest with yourself. Or is yours just a little more subtle? Pouting? Self-gratification? Maybe being real curt with somebody? Having an attitude of irritation? Is your way of fanning the fires of strife overstepping your rights and infringing on somebody else's rights? Or maybe shirking your responsibility? Are you so fearful that things are not going to turn out right for you and your family that you try to make it work until you get into control and then you find yourself provoking everyone around you and they get angry because they're feeling controlled? See, there's nothing that can fan the fires of strife any more quickly than someone that's controlling the situation. Now, all of these things and many, many more keep the strife tree growing, keeping it flourishing. It fans the fire. Now, I want you to be honest enough with yourself to quit looking at the branches and look down at the root and see where the branches are coming from. Those branches are coming from the trunk, and the trunk is coming from the root. Now, I've tried, and you probably have too, to cut off some of these branches out of my life from time to time. But every time I try to cut one off, it seems to grow back. And it's because we can get rid of the branch. And God's saying, quit looking at the branches and look at the root. Look at pride, look at presumption, and look at selfishness. Whatever branch you happen to operate in, the bottom line is selfishness, always. And we can cut the branches off all we want to. We can cut off anger here and we can cut off our pouting over here. But until we look at the root, we're never going to have the total victory. Okay, I want you to use your imagination again. The root is selfishness. The tree trunk is strife. It's growing out of the selfishness. The branches are the different ways in which strife manifests, the nagging and the, and the different things. Now, I want you to picture in your mind the fruit growing from those branches. What kind of fruit grows from a strife tree? Okay, remember this foundational scripture over here in James 3.16. It says, where strife exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. Okay, any bad results, any consequences can be fruit that's produced from this tree. It can be lack, poverty. It can be sickness. It can be broken relationships. It can be rejection. It can be the inability to be creative. It can be confusion. It can be a bad inheritance that's handed down to our children. It can be anxiety, worry. Okay, now we've talked about the fruit of strife, the evil consequences. We've talked about the branches. We've talked about all those things that fan the fires of strife. We've talked about the trunk of the tree, and we've talked about the root. Now I want us to discuss how to kill that root. Now, I read two different news stories that happened at two different times. One was about this person that rescued someone from a house that was on fire. And the other article was about a man who dived into turbulent waters to try to save this drowning victim. Okay, later, when the news commentary had interviewed the hero, both of them at different times were asked the same question. They were asked, what made you risk your life to save someone else? 
What made you risk your life to say someone that you didn't even know? And they both had answered in almost the same words. They both said, I got so excited, I didn't think about myself. Now, as simple as that answer sounds, that is the answer to every form of strife, to quit thinking about self. Quit making self be the center of our universe. See, now that sounds too simple, but God's ways are always simple and God's ways work. Why does it destroy strife to quit thinking about ourself? Because it cuts strife off at the root. It kills the root. It kills the preoccupation with self. Now, God is wanting us to learn the art of selflessness, thinking about others first. He's wanting us to train ourselves to see through the eyes of the other person. Now, the reason that that's hard to do is because we've formed a lifelong habit of watching out for number one. We've become very good at it. We've developed the art of selfishness, but he's wanting us to develop the art of selflessness. Lifelong habits are hard to break, and they're impossible to break without the help of the Holy Spirit to change that motivating spirit that's behind the habit. Now, strife can be curtailed when we learn how to not allow somebody else's actions to dictate our reaction. Now, the angle from which you view something is going to determine your reaction. For example, when I view a situation from my perspective, when I view it from how I've been mistreated and how so-and-so has talked about me and how badly I've been hurt and how what an injustice it was and how unfair this was to me. See, that's viewing the situation from my perspective, and it's going to open me up to strife. Now, the world teaches that philosophy. The world teaches us to view the situation from our own perspective. But the answer to strife is looking at the situation from that other person's perspective and sincerely ask ourselves, what is the need in that person's life that causes that kind of behavior? What is the need? See, anytime there's an offense, there's a need. If we'll look past the offense, we'll find that there's a need. Now, we're not quite so quick to blow up and lose our temper and walk in strife when we viewed the situation through that other person's eyes. And I'm not saying that to avoid strife, you have to always agree on everything. I'm not saying that. And I'm certainly not saying that you always have to be the one to give in. Anytime it causes us to be disobedient to God to give in, or if it causes us to compromise the word of God, then we don't have any choice except to stand our ground. But even then, if we have to stand our ground, if we're led by the Spirit and we're operating in the fruit of gentleness, then we're going to respond to the situation rather than reacting to it. And then our steadfast stand is not going to be coming out of a selfish motive. Okay, what about those times, though, when we have been done wrong? If we don't look out for ourselves, who is going to look out for us? How are we going to come out in the long run? Well, I'm going to give you an example in Scripture, and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 13. And this is an example of someone who viewed the situation from another person's perspective, and it's going to tell us how God took care of him in the long run. This is also a good example of someone in presumption and selfishness. We've got two extremes, and I want us to compare the two. Okay, in Genesis chapter 13, we find that Abraham's flocks were growing larger and larger. His nephew Lot was living with him, and he too had flocks. 
and his flocks were growing bigger and the herdsmen had gotten into strife. So Abraham had said to Lot, we can't have this. We can't have strife. Lot, you choose the direction that you want to go and I'll go the other direction. So we find then that Lot looks out across the land and he sees the rich, fertile valley in one direction. And he thinks, boy, this is going to be wonderful grazing land. And so he chooses that way. Now, Abraham would have had the right to have said, no, you're not going that direction. The only reason you have these herds are because of me. So you're not going to take the best land. He didn't even stop to realize that all of the land was his uncle Abraham's anyway. But Abraham didn't do that. Abraham said, that's fine. You take your flocks and you go into the rich, fertile valley and I'll go to the desert land. Now, I was in Israel, and I looked at that desert, and I couldn't believe that it would grow anything. It just looked like solid rock. I don't know how they ever support a herd of goats or anything else because it's desolate. There was no way that Abraham could have made that choice if he had been looking at it from his perspective. There was no way that he could have done that. But there was a different spirit motivating these two men. The spirit behind Lot was a spirit of selfishness. He wanted the good land. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it so that his flocks would flourish. And he had presumption. He infringed on Abraham's rights. Now, if you'll remember last week when we were looking in James 3.16, that the same Greek word translated strife is also selfish ambition. Those are both the same word. They come from the same Greek word. So there was a selfish ambition there, and it caused strife. Now, if Abraham had been motivated by a selfish spirit, then there would have been an all-out war. And that's why we have so much strife in this world, because both parties are being motivated by a selfish spirit. Now, remember, we said that thinking about the other person will diffuse strife. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He wasn't motivated out of selfishness. And we find that Lot's selfish choice drew him into wickedness. You'll remember it says that it'll bring disorder and every evil thing. Well, he finally moved to the city of Sodom, and many, many evil things happened to him as a result of that. We find at one point he was taken captive, he and his wife and his children and everything that belonged to them. And the only reason that he was saved is because Abraham went after him, took 318 men out of his household, and overtook those armies and won the battle and brought them back. We find out later that he lost his wife. After that, both of his daughters turned to incest. Now, a selfish spirit is always going to lead a person into wickedness every single time. Anytime we allow a selfish spirit to continue to operate, it's always going to draw us into some type of wickedness. And by the same token, anytime we have an unselfish spirit, it's always going to open us up to the blessings of God. Now, anytime you can give another person first choice, that's faith. If it means something to you, and you can still say, okay, you take it, it's yours, then you're operating in faith. And the only way we'll ever be able to do that is to be motivated by the same thing that was motivating Abraham, and that is total trust in God. Now, God was his source, and he knew that God was going to take care of him. Now, what causes us to become self-seeking is that we're not truly trusting that God's going to take care of us. Therefore, we get to thinking that we've got to take care of ourselves, 
And that's why we become self-reliant. That's why we become presumptuous. That's why we become preoccupied with self. And every time we get into that, it fosters strife. And if we stopped the story here, it would appear that Abraham lost. But if you'll remember, God took care of Abraham. Anytime we give up something in preference to God, then we're operating in a spiritual law. And anytime we have a spiritual law going, it's going to be multiplied back. And that's when God told Abraham to look to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. And he said, every place that your foot trods, that land is going to belong not only to you, but to your descendants forever. Now, the Bible says that God exalts the humble. Now, I'm not talking about a false humility that allows people to stumble. That's not what I'm talking about. But the answer to all strife is recognizing that God's kingdom is an exchange system. God's wanting us to exchange the motivating spirit of selfishness for a spirit of love. That's what he's continually telling us. And our exchange system is the agape kind of love. And I'm going to read that to you out of the Amplified. You're familiar with it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting with verse 4, God tells us that love endures long and is patient and kind, and love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not inflated with pride. It's not rude and unmannerly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of an evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under everything and anything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades out. It never becomes obsolete. It never comes to an end. We read this exchange system, then we say, God, I can't do it. It's impossible. I can't do it. Well, the secret is that God lives on the inside of us. Therefore, God's love is in us. And God's not going to require anything of us that he's not going to empower us to do. And that's why when he gives us things in the word of God and requires those things of us, and we look at it and it looks impossible, that's because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And he said, no, you can't do it in your own strength. But he said, I won't require anything of you that I don't give you the strength to do it. Unconditional love is the antidote that destroys strife. It kills the root of strife. It kills the selfishness. And God's saying, I'm there and I will see you through. And I will put the same spirit in you that was in Abraham. Father, we thank you that you've given us answers. You tell us what the problem is and then you give us the answer. We thank you for that. Then not only do you give us the answer, but you empower us to be able to walk in that answer. Father, your answers are so simple. Forgive us when we try to make it work on our own, when we try to do it another way. Help us, Lord, to just simply submit to you. Yield ourselves to you, Father. Father, we thank you that we can walk free of selfishness and free of strife. And Lord, that is the desire of our heart, is for our homes to be without strife, our church to be without strife, for our lives to be without strife. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.